0: Introducing the greatest animated series you've never seen, Lightning Dogs. These canine commandos are lost on a post-apocalyptic Earth and battling the forces of the evil Glampire. It's a tribute to the cartoons and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, and Nerdy Show is hell-bent on bringing it to life. Blocks sold separately. Join us as we document our quest from the moment lightning struck to every world-building session and beyond and make our crazy dream a reality. Roll with the pack at lightningdogs.com. State of the Empire is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. And is brought to you in part by Consequence of Sound, the web's foremost source of music and film news, reviews, and insights. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com.
1: Welcome to State of the Empire, Nerdy Show's Star Wars speculation podcast, where we look for news in Alderon places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hey, I'm Matt. In this episode, we're going to be talking about, well, predominantly about Star Wars novels, recent novels, as well as comic books, what's been happening in them, which ones you should bother checking out, and then also some Star Wars video games. But, uh, but first, a little bit of new stuff coming out of The Last Jedi. There's a new featurette from, where was it, Matt? ABC, I think? USA Today. USA Today. I knew it was some kind of generic news source where right. bland stuff usually happens. <laughs> How dare you confuse USA Today with the American Broadcasting Company? <laughs> <laughs> um, and what w- w- this this actually wasn't wasn't particularly bland. It was a really nice little behind the scenes featurette about Ryan Johnson's experience as a director for uh, for episode eight. And in it, we get a few clips. Of uh, of some little tidbits about things just a little bit of uh, of nuance to glean for example we've all seen Finn in disguise uh, as a first order trooper well now it looks like we may have also seen Rose and DJ in disguise blurry in the background but possibly there and um, what was it the possibility that maybe Ray and Poe meet?
2: Yeah won't that be weird they actually share some dialogue together for, for the first time
1: I only watched the video once and then you brought that up matt where what's what's the scene like where that happens? what's the context in this video?
2: It looks like they're on the Falcon. they're certainly like in their you know the the two actors are definitely like on set together in their clothing you know in front of the camera, so I think they're definitely <laughs> shooting scenes together you know of course you know the, there's the possibility that they're you know off scene from one another but you know there there hasn't really been a lot to kind of place characters together for this movie like you we haven't really even seen like while we know that Poe and Finn probably start together we haven't even seen them together in anything I don't believe so they might get separated pretty quickly and it's actually nice to see some main characters together
1: yeah no kidding it would be
0: interesting if they kept up the separation and then the end of episode nine is just like <laughs> You know, Finn is just like, oh, oh, hey, Ray, I'm so glad to see you. And Poach' is like, who the hell is this? <laughs> and, like, they just have to have that awkward moment where he has to introduce them. They shake hands and the trilogy. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: would be amazing. So we'll link to where you can check that out on this episode's page. Another, another interesting tidbit is that there's a there's a feature that you may have seen in the new Star Wars action figures called Force Link. And it's this gauntlet that you wear. So when you're playing with your action figures, you can just press some buttons and, and using um, some RFID chips somewhere the what whatever figure you're holding will shoot dialogue out or sound effects it's kind of neat it doesn't sound much better than the old comtech uh, microchip action figure stands from episode 1 but the actual deployment of said technology is a lot better and uh, recently we got the down low on what dj says no reveals whatsoever about the nature of his character but one <laughs> one really great piece of slang uh, Matt, you wanna you wanna debut this for everyone?
2: Oh, for Hutt's sake.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, that's that that's a good one. I mean, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if it's appeared in like a an EU novel or two, or maybe a comic. But like, it's great that it'll be on film. I hope it's on film anyway.
1: <laughs> Just like, let's and take this gotta, fight to the skies.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, well, let's hope. I mean, it's nice to actually get a little a little DJ in there. He's been so like closed up and forgotten about when it comes to marketing this movie why yeah. does he
1: hold huts in such high esteem <laughs> <laughs> that's what i want to know what's the context of this like it's not a curse exactly but like this colloquialism yeah. like what does it mean like, when
0: been like we're like oh son of a hut like you know
1: there like, you go that's the spice you know.
0: yeah son, son of a hut would be a good one
1: but but you're right doug what's it for hutt's steak like does that mean that he's like worshipful of the dynasty of huts you know the crime family like i mean i wouldn't be like i would you would you say for like oh for the godfather's sake if you were say in the mafia like is that I something don't know. you'd say i just know i i would love
0: it's not gonna happen but i'd love to hear benicio del toro say bantha Poodoo on screen
1: <laughs> <laughs> his
0: delivery's gotta be killer
1: <laughs> anyway that is that's all the new stuff from um the last jedi. So let's let's get to these these Star Wars ephemera that we've sort of been discarding for the past couple episodes <laughs> We're just sort of stockpiling all this information. Um Matt, you've been doing a lot of reading. Yeah, I'm trying to catch up.
2: It's <laughs> like I said, we we've, we've just been uh, you know, collecting so much of it that I I found myself, you know, falling behind, but uh you know, I've been I've been keeping up. I've been enjoying uh just got through all the Rogue One tie-in stuff, which, you know, is now which is it's weird, the movie, you know, was only out what, ten months ago, but like it is strange how it's all just sort of like in the rear view. Like the Rogue over One era is over. And uh But you know, I would highly recommend anybody on the fence about learning more about Rogue One. I think a lot of the tie in stuff was really good. Like the the young adult novel Rebel Rising about Jin's life all the way from her abandonment at the Lamu homestead, all the way up to her arrest uh, prior to, to Rogue One, like, is really good and really heartbreaking. Like she's had a rough life. And I would definitely recommend everyone check that out. Um, and uh, just I'm about halfway through the Inferno Squad book,
1: which you had some reservations about that. You're not a fan of the author.
2: I'm not. This is uh Christy Golden and I don't have a good relationship as far as the stuff that she's done in the past Star Wars. I will say this is my favorite novel of hers so far. My reservations now don't involve her abilities, because actually I think she's she's painted a picture of Inferno Squad that I actually think looks better than the game. The game looks great, but the nature of of an elite squad in a, in a battlefront video game a campaign is that it's you know it's an fps it's not you know and and battlefront's not exactly the most like stealth oriented game so i imagine it's pretty straightforward as far as action goes but the ba- the inferno squad in this book they're not like a crazy special forces team at least not in this juncture of their careers they're they're more espionage and subterfuge, and and they go undercover to, like, take down the remnants of Saw Gerrera's group, or they'll—they they disguise themselves to go to a corrupt Moff's party in order to steal information, in order to bribe him. Like, it's, it's much more, like, mission impossible. Which way are we going to enter this building? You know, what are we going to do? Who's going to be undercover? Like, it, it's a lot—it sounds way more exciting than the video game campaign does, and it's kind of a shame that we won't be getting that in their single-player adventures.
1: So what you're sc- describing is some kind of James Bond ghost recon thing, and what we're getting is, yes. is well, commandos.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, we might get a little bit of it. You can see, you know, Iden, the main character from the campaign, she does some cool things in the in the videos that we've seen with uh, uh, the droid, but, but it's really just, you know, slicing in the terminals and things like that. It's not, like, highly involved espionage. It's just kind of like, you know, command prompt type things. But, um, yeah, the book's been great. The book ties in some loose ends from Clone Wars. I don't want to spoil anything, but any fans of the Clone Wars out there that are considering reading this book, like it ties up like a really big loose end from that show and ties heavily into Rogue One with what happened with Saw Gerrera's group and even features some characters from Saw Gerrera's group from that Rebel Rising book. Like, It just brings the whole saga together nicely. And the strange thing that the, I imagine the campaign in the video game is going to do the same thing because it brings us from Endor to the First Order. So shockingly, this book and this series, Battlefront 2 in general, has like been this like really interesting glue of the entire saga, dating from the prequels to the sequels.
1: Yeah, that's wild.
2: So yeah, it's been it's been enjoyable. Very enjoyable, actually.
1: And then Battlefront 2 has so much of aftermath in it.
2: Yeah, exactly. It has supposedly some of the observatories from aftermath and has the sentinel droids from aftermath like it's like it's i will say this might be like the story group's like best most cohesive effort so far it's really changed my mind about some of the things that they're they've been doing
1: yeah cuz what you're saying right now this is very different from everything you've been telling us in the past months of you know it's it's expanded universe light nothing really commits and sticks to the landing in any kind of big way it's interesting at best but not in any kind of real sense but what you've just said that is a full blown. That's a connected universe right there. That's what that sounds like.
2: Yeah, definitely. Without without the universe feeling too small, like you know, it, it kind of makes sense that like certain characters would be coming across each other rather than simply you know running into somebody in a Jedi market and you know reciting the same lines from A New Hope. <laughs> you know, it's like it's 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 much smarter and if you're well playing, thought out and yeah, <laughs> and are playing still, the State of the Empire Bingo. There,
1: you can just go yeah. ahead and drink right now.
2: I mean, They're still not committing to like huge monumental stories that can change the fabric of the entire galaxy because they, they simply can't with the nature of them still making post-Return of the Jedi movies. But I think they're now figuring out the, the best thing they can do is providing those really, really good connective stories that make
1: sense. That's awesome.
0: Still nothing on the Constable Zuvio connections?
1: <laughs> I've got something for you. i got something. Constable oh, Zugio oh, yeah. majorly featured in the first story arc of Star Wars Adventures, the all ages but canonical IDW comic book.
2: Oh, I actually, we'll be starting that next week. Yep, that's exciting.
1: Yeah, here's here's a little pro tip: if you still can, buy it in issues because they're collecting this thing lightning fast. As in, the first two issues came out, forming a cohesive story about Rey and her life and times on Jakku, and then as well as a couple quality backups um, in the forms of some, some Star Wars legends that are dubious as to how canonical they are but we'll get into that later the important part is they've taken those two issues that are one complete story but the same length as, as only a as like most of a, of a comic book not a full comic book because there's a backup story right they have mm-hmm. as of last week repackaged them as a collection a collection that costs a dollar more than if you bought those issues <laughs> oh ha. Huh. So buy it in issues if you can; it'll be cheaper in the long run. Anyway, let's get back to novels.
2: Yeah, I just a uh, couple of those. I've been catching up with some of the the junior novels the join the Resistance series, which is also growing on me. I, you know, they they might be canon, but I would I would have to imagine they're they're dubiously canon because I can't imagine. So the premise for Join the Resistance is a, a very young group of uh, wanna freedom fighters joins the resistance and I gotta imagine they're all probably like 12, 13 years old and they get placed in a squadron together and they just get into Goonies like hijinks. As a matter of fact, the authors, Ben Acker and Ben Becker, a very talented writing team in like the like podcast comic book space, like they've described it as, as Goonies in space.
1: But it,
2: it, they're so, <laughs> they're enjoy- very enjoyable from like a, from a junior novel standpoint. But when they get in trouble, It drives me nuts that they end up, like, not too much of a spoiler, because it happens early on, but power gets cut off on the base, and some people almost crash while trying to land, and Akbar lets them off the hook. It's a very strange series.
1: (laughs) No. No, 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 no. (laughs) You're, You're cleaning out whatever space latrines they've got, or worse.
2: Yeah, and also, you know, getting drummed out of the Resistance. I, I will say, and also this has been the source of a lot of my confusion about how the First Order works out, because it's made statements about how the First Order used to be part of the Republic, and and so now I'm still like, are they coming from the Unknown Regions? Were they, like, ever a member state of the, the Republic? Like, I'm very confused now about the origins of the First Order in general. I just, it, it's still, the information we got from Bloodline about how Leia just finds out about this essentially secret society of former Imperials that is sort of putting together something big, and she immediately forms the resistance from that. So I don't know where in that six-year period you could come up with the idea that they, like, used to be part of the Republic. Like, I, unless I'm missing something about how, I mean, maybe all those, I think they call them centrists, like it was a political faction within the Republic that wanted to be more domineering, maybe they just, like defect at some point. I don't know. It, it's not really making much sense, but the books by themselves are fun. You know, they're very like younger age group targeted, but you know, that's not necessarily an issue because so far I would say right now, the junior and young adult novels are besting the adult target group as far as uh, quality mm. um, since the, the Disney rearrangement of the expanded universe.
1: Well on, on that line, um, Have you had a chance to check out Leia, Princess of Alderaan?
2: Not yet. I will be starting that next week.
1: That's uh, another book by Claudia Gray, the same author as Bloodline. And uh, unlike Bloodline, this one is is specifically a young author. And it's about Leia's teenage years. On the eve of her 16th birthday, apparently it's going to reveal what Leia's rise to power was like, uh, showing how she first became an agent of the Rebellion. Um, It's also about her friends and her parents who she's going against in terms of they don't want her to get involved. Um, contrary to the scene in the <laughs> Rogue One comic book adaptation, where you see Leia with Bail Organa across from Sagarera with Jin at like some kind of secret planning meeting, <laughs>
2: I know something that a scene that did not appear in the the Jin Rebel Rising young novel. Like, yeah, no mention of that sort of meeting.
1: <laughs> uh, interestingly, Claudia Gray says of this you know book about Leia's childhood. There's a very strong connection to some things from The Last Jedi, which once you see the film will make sense. Um, and maybe what she's talking about is that in this book, you see Bail Organa set up the rebel operation on Crate. There's a comic book coming out that's a one-shot called Storms of Crate, and it comes out December 7th, so shortly after the film. It's about Luke and Leia looking for a new base during the original trilogy, it's by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, um, who did the "Join the Resistance" book Matt was just talking about. Mm-hmm. And the only description is: uh, Luke and Leia take up arms on the salt-covered world and search for a new rebel base. And I guess I guess they don't find it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> like you know, if there's an operation there already, maybe it's a uh, an operation that's been shelved for some reason. I don't know how you know how does how does Bail Organa set up something in Leia's childhood, and then Luke and Leia then go to this place, and it's like there's any ambiguity about what's gonna happen when they get there. I don't know. We'll find out.
2: Yeah. I mean just to very quickly finish up, probably the most important part of joining the resistance is the main protagonist at one point recalls in his childhood the heroes of the resistance that or of the rebellion that he grew up worshiping and mentions the greatest hero of the rebellion, Admiral Akbar, which I thought was a great (laughs) perspective. (laughs) That he was the most popular of of the rebellion heroes. So I'm like that's like just the best thing
1: that is the best thing <laughs>
2: yeah I, they're, like i said from from a from a goonies perspective that they're enjoyable but it's just making the sequel era very confusing still also got through the Thrawn novel which unfortunately to me was a bit of a disappointment the more Thrawn as a character is allowed to so air the empire and the Thrawn trilogy the original one comes out and you know just was fantastic and and timothy zahn really hit you know hit it out of the ballpark with with that character in particular but also you know the other ones mara jade and talon card and jorah seboff and all of them but obviously thrawn was the fan favorite and then so he does this hand of thrawn duology where you know that takes place 10 years after that and it's more the legacy of thrawn and all of a sudden the way people are talking about thrawn is it's He's becoming too much of a of a godlike perfect character, that he was just like the best villain of all time. That duology was, it was okay, it was interesting, it was, overall it was certainly passable. And then as it's continued along over the years, Thrawn just becomes more and more <sighs> whitewashed or bluewashed, I don't know how we would <laughs> go ahead and call it, because... There's no fooling this guy anymore. Every single time Thrawn comes up against an obstacle, he's always... It, it reminds me of Sherlock on BBC. He's always, like, annoyingly four steps ahead of the issue. Like, every, like, faint of a mistake was actually something planned. And I figured you would do that, so I did this instead. And I just... I don't know. There's there's something... And also, that he's not part of the Empire because he believes in the Empire, but because he thinks the Empire is the best preparation for the galaxy for what's the big threat coming soon. You know, it's like, so now we need to... Which is, very to me, very, a big contrast to his characterization in Rebels. He looks very much, like, very Imperial in Rebels. Yeah. So I don't know if they intend to change that characterization or not. But that's, that's where Thrawn should be. He should be a bad guy. Like, that's, you know, where he belongs. And uh, I will say, I do think with the announcement of... Uh, sequel coming out in 2018 that they are starting to do think about that connective tissue that uh, the the Battlefront book had because I guess he's teaming up with Vader and he actually mentions in the Thrawn book that he had an interaction with Anakin Skywalker during the Clone Wars and they kind of kept that very mysterious in the Thrawn book so it'll be interesting to see how he interacts and he's he's figured out who Vader is in in
1: oh, over the course of dang. Thrawn. Okay. So
2: it would be very interesting to hear these conversations between Vader and Thrawn. Like this is so while I have my issues with that book, it's totally worth the read if there's a big payoff and I think uh also I there's a a subplot with Governor Price from Rebels and it's fantastic. It actually does the best job of establishing why Lothal is as important as it is. And why we're so focused on it in Rebels. Like, there's some interesting things going on there.
1: That's great. Speaking of Rebels, obviously, we haven't talked about it since Season 4 started. Um, We did actually do a review of the first episode of Season 4 back, what, April of this year? Because we saw it at Star Wars Celebration. But um, we'll be spending more time, more quality time with Rebels in the weeks ahead. There's just so much to talk about, and so much of Rebels is currently unfolding yeah it's i mean this is the final season it's going to be a hell of a season we've got many of the episode titles though not all of them and um i don't know that any of it's really worth reading into overly because there's just there's just so much that's going to happen that uh i don't know we, we really don't have any bearing on dave dave filoni's been playing this whole thing very close to his chest um and aside, aside from the inevitability that Rebels is going to spin directly into whatever the follow-up program is that he's working on, I, I mean, they haven't said that, but I'm telling you here and now, that's what's going to happen. Come on. Um, come on. <laughs> it, <laughs> <laughs> Great characters. Ezra Bridger, come on. Um, I Yeah, it's totally going to happen. How could it not? A couple other, other, go ahead.
2: I, I just been hearing a lot of from a lot of different places that we will know by the ending of Rebels what it will be. And I don't mean like as far as time, I just mean like the ending of Rebels will somehow indicate, oh, this is where they want to go.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how, how so you've been hearing people outright say that then it's not just me yes. talking, pre- predicting things that I'm certain of but have no bearing on.
2: Yeah, just people that have like some loose connection to the production. Cool. So whether that's people within Disney, which you know there's some of those, and then there's people like specifically like uh, have done work with Lucasfilm Animation with like marketing Mm -hmm. rebels. So that'll be exciting to hear.
1: Sweet. Coming out on Halloween, there's a new book called Legends of Luke Skywalker by Ken Liu. Um, It's a collection of rumors about Luke. Basically, it's what the galaxy knows or thinks it knows about Luke. The framing device is there's a bunch of kids on a cargo ship that's traveling to Canto Bight. And uh, it's six stories about this guy who most of them don't even believe is a real person. So, uh, in is fact, that like that Batman animated series yeah. episode, basically, <laughs> yeah, but with children instead of criminals. No, 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 not not almost
0: got him. Like the actual Batman animated series episode oh, about the kids yes, talking the one, about the different versions.
1: <laughs> the one with the Dark Knight Returns. It is. It's exactly that. Yes, it's exactly that episode. <laughs> um. Apparently, there's uh, a first person account told secondhand about a mole flea named. Lugubrious uh, Mote Who's allegedly On Luke's person At the time Of the Jabba Confrontation In Jedi (sighs) Take it For what you will (laughs) Uh, I don't know Matt do you know Anything about uh, Sentient mole fleas In the Star Wars universe No
2: No And uh, it, It Sure
1: Right, exactly.
2: I mean, it, it, Jabba's palace, I could see being definitely in, infested. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, those Grimorians are scratching all kinds of places. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also a Phasma book that's out now by Delilah S. Dawson. Have you heard anything about it, Matt?
2: Uh, I have heard from a few people that if you want to get a jump on figuring out who Benicio del Toro is actually playing in Last Jedi, oh, to fuck read me. Phasma, really. and that that is just a lot of conjecture every single time something new about dj comes about the first thing i hear is is someone uh either commenting on a forum or speaking to someone uh they'll go wow that makes sense with the character of cardinal in in the phasma novel who is phasma's like chief rival in the first order he's a stormtrooper that uh is in red armor um not like praetorian guard armor but actually just like stormtrooper armor in red
1: right she's fancy he's fancy they're both fancy they're upset about it
2: yes and they yeah they're professional rivals and i don't i've tried to avoid spoiling myself on how that uh plays out but i would imagine with everyone conjecturing about dj that like he may end up getting shamed and exiled or something like that from the first order
1: and turns into a slicer
2: <laughs> yeah uh, see. See, that's what I understand. I don't know. What's strange to me is, you know, people can tell me, you know, oh, it makes sense. But, like, everything I have known about Cardinal, like, I don't know. I don't see that comparison. But I don't know. I guess we'll find out.
1: What we do know about Phasma in a sort of spoiler-free overview about the sort of thing you can expect in terms of the depth of her character that they get into and her origin story is the book shows how she got off the planet where she was on initially. It cuts between the present and the past and shows her as this fearsome warrior on this brutal world. Um, The First Order comes to that planet and sees a great opportunity when they arrive. And this is mirrored somewhat in the Phasma comic book by Kelly Thompson, which has uh, is four issues, and I've read all of it, and it is great. Um, it's it takes place basically the moment that she's shoved in the garbage chute and turns into this. I mean, this is retcon at its finest, right? This no one ha- were they not trying to fix a terrible problem would have written this story, but it's crazy <laughs> that it goes this far. <laughs> so, so let me give you let me give you a rundown without like you know revealing so much that you won't want to check it out. She gets shoved in this garbage chute. And she's like, "Fuck! If they trace this back to me, I'm done." But I'm Phasma. I'm the most ruthless person around, and I am so fucking mad about what just happened. So she frames someone. She like she as soon as she's down in the pits and she gets the first computer she gets to, she she makes it look like someone else in the first order did what she did. Mm. And then she spends the last moments of Starkiller Base hunting this guy down, almost like convincing herself outright. This guy is a traitor. I have to get him. So awesome. anyone she talks to is like, I'm going to kill this fucking traitor. He's the one who made us vulnerable. And then like, and gets in a TIE fighter and goes off with this TIE fighter pilot and, and a BB hate and uh, f- tracks this guy to, I guess, the first planet he could get to. I forget why they, why they went there. And there's no technology on this planet. There's a society of people who descended from people from the stars but, like, escaped there. And the, world, the planet's in, like, this weird... There's like an indigenous species that sort of turned against them and it's Phasma kind of looking at this society and reminiscing about where she came from at the same time as she's manipulating this society to get to the guy she wants to get to because that guy got himself kidnapped by the creatures from that planet uh, indigenously. And uh, she's—it's just this big, this big insane vengeance quest that's not even really a vengeance quest. It's all her trying to like going to extremes to create a frame so she doesn't lose her honor. That's amazing. And it, it's—I mean, it's preposterous, but it is—it was cool. Yeah.
0: Sounds dishonorable, but. <laughs>
1: like... Yeah, <laughs> it,
2: it's strange because you know I—I've on the past I think I, I've been—I mean, all of us I think were a little bit uh, critical of the story group already having to resort to, to retcons for certain things because, you know, this is sort of the point of keeping everything very, like, tight and concise was that, like, they didn't have to run into these issues. But then as you go through and you realize the Star Wars universe, the old Expanded universe, is just the place to go for, like, retcon artistry. And it just seems right that we're back to that <laughs> because, like, it always ends up being the most interesting stuff for some reason. Like, I I don't know. I kind of... I'm suddenly okay with it. You know, it creates some very interesting, uh, and, you know, it, it, a lot of avenues for, for creativity.
1: Right, because this is a crazy story that no one should have ever had to tell. And not only is it a crazy story of how Phasma escaped Starkiller Base's explosion when she really, really shouldn't have, and the timetable is very tight. The entire first issue is kind of like an as-it-happens, um, read this as you're watching the film, and you'll see that it plays out extremely quickly, and it's a miracle she got off when she did. Um <laughs> And, and then, and then it turns into this like almost not a barbarian comic book, but I mean like it's a crazy terrible planet she's on, and she's got to fight for survival now, perhaps the biggest book release is an anthology called from a certain point of view forty stories from forty years of star Wars and matt have you have you read the whole thing yet or are you still working your way through uh, it i'm about I'm
2: about halfway uh, what's neat is they they structure all the stories chronologically with the film, so it starts with stories uh, pertaining to like the gunner on the the star destroyer that, that opts not to fire at the escape pods, um, and then like, you know, progresses like the, You know, there'll be a story about a Tusken Raider or a Jawa involved with, you know, the uh, you know the R5 unit that Owen Lars initially wants to buy, you know, just that sort of thing. So I'm I'm about right as we're escaping Moss Eisley. So I just got through like the figure and Dan story.
1: So this is all stuff in the orbit of A New Hope, then. Yes. I the, didn't entire, realize that. the entire
2: book. Yeah. Yep. Um, there's been, they've, as with any good anthology, they've ranged from, like, odd stories to, to some great ones. But the problem is cramming 40 in there. My, my initial thought was that, like, oh, my gosh, we're going back to, like, the days of, like, the Tales from Lost Isley Cantina, Tales from the Bounty Hunters, those anthologies, which... I think for a lot of old EU fans are probably some of the, your best memories. Cause they really oh, yeah. filled in as much like background as anything else did. Cause we finally got away from, you know, Luke, Leia and Han and like, we really got some really weird stories and some good ones and things like that. And I think this book suffers from too many of them. So all the stories are extremely short. Um, but what has worked has worked really well. There was a Claudia Gray story. God bless her. She's been amazing so far in, in this universe. Um, from uh, Qui-Gon's perspective on uh, sort of what is about to transpire in the galaxy. You know, sort of the, the balance tipping. And is so good at, once again, retconning Qui-Gon's importance to the saga that George Lucas only gave us little teases about that it almost becomes to me required reading for anyone who wants to go through the saga chronologically because it just, it, I, don't, I don't want to give anything away to anybody, but it's, it's, it's a beautiful meditation on the force and what it means to the galaxy and, and how things have changed from the prequel era to the original trilogy era. Like it's really, really great stuff.
1: From what I understand, it also deals with what a force ghost perceives um yes. which is fascinating and that, that he is capable of a of I don't know Matt would you say that he's living an existence in his unexistence in a way yeah i you know it's strange cuz it, cuz he's
2: still it sounds like it's still changing for him um like he's becoming like more with the force because at times he's perceiving like the entire galaxy as a whole and, and things are, are big to him, but then he's thinking about how short of a life Obi-Wan has, like, both remaining and what he's already lived within the grand scheme of things. So he's able to, like, perceive, you know, the infinitesimally large and then also, like, the infinitesimally small. It's, it's, it's very good. It's, you know, it doesn't go quite too philosophical, like, overtly, but it's definitely, um, I think it's a necessity. Like, I thought it was great.
1: How about our old pal Greedo? So it turns
2: out seems like Greedo's been cuckolded by Han Solo as if we needed anything more of why Greedo hates Han instead of simply that, you know, he's there to collect credits. Well, as I recall, Uh, from the
1: bounty hunter, he was burned about Han stealing a Rancor skin jacket of his when he was a teenager. So this sounds uh, much better.
2: Yeah, and you know he's just upset about his love, you know, doing this, and refers to it as like you know her mistake, like basically he burned her. But I I don't know, it's there's some weird Greedo psychology going on there. And also, on his way into the cantina, he kicks a Jawa. <laughs> he just straight up kicks a Jawa what on the way in. Shit. I mean, yeah. So you know I I don't you know I don't feel bad for him at all. Like he. <laughs>
1: I heard Han actually su- shoots first. Is that correct? Yes.
2: In, in Greedo's story, there's no no indication that Greedo pulls the trigger. It's just straight up Han killing him.
1: <laughs> That's so crazy. Like, what does that even mean? Like now, you know? right?
2: <laughs> but yeah, there's there's some funny stories. The the Star Destroyer gunner, like the reason why he actually didn't fire on the escape pod. Um uh they do another story from the from the perspective of that R5 unit uh which if any old EU fans remember there was a horrible <laughs> Star Wars Tales comic that probably wasn't supposed to be considered any sorts of canon but the problem is with the old expanded universe there wasn't like labels so if it comes out fans always wanted to somehow squeeze something in i remember the days when they actually tried to squeeze star tours into the <laughs> like old canon by saying that it was, like, a Death Star prototype, like, it just anything that they could do to, like, get everything in there. But if anyone remembers Skippy the Jedi droid, a, a droid that had Force powers and actually, like, sacrificed himself because he he received a Force vision that R2 needed to go with Luke. Oh. That was the old canon. <laughs> so, in this one, there is some... Uh, not, basically, this is, this is more direct. R2 pleads with the R5 unit that he needs to go with Luke. And it's actually kind of, it's a cute story. I don't want to spoil the way it goes down. But, um, you know, for some reason, everybody wants to know more about that R5 unit. You know, why, it, why its motivator was bad.
1: Well, Matt, we all have bad motivators sometimes. And we really, yeah, you know.
2: There's something I, to learn from it.
1: I've always wanted to identify more strongly <laughs> with that R5 unit. <laughs> <laughs> now I can. It's perfect.
2: Yeah, there's a great Tusken Raider story. Learn a little bit more about how custom or Tusken Raider uh, hierarchy works. And, oh, uh, is there any clue to the and, um,
1: the Tusken F of G of Darth Vader that they worship in the desert, as seen in a random issue of Jason Aaron's Star Wars run?
2: There is mention that everybody <gasps> avoids it like a plague.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, my God! They, they,
2: <laughs> basically, it's 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 sacred land. You know, it's just meant to be avoided because of the evil spirit that like. Killed all the men, women, and children. You know, not just the men, but the women and the children too. And uh, <laughs> there's a couple. Uh, yeah, there's there's some mention of that. There's also, um, you know, they all they all kind of know Ben as a wizard, and so they try to avoid him. And there's, you know, it isn't so much that they hear the at dragon sound that scares them away, but it is actually when they're like, "Oh shit, it's Ben," you know, like. You got to stay away huh. from that wizard. And, of course, some of the Tuscans believe that, you know, oh, he's just, you know, we could take him. And some are like, you really need to avoid him. You know, it's it's, it's an interesting story. It's good.
1: Speaking, speaking of Ben, I've heard there's, there's some sort of story where Obi-Wan is trying to convince Yoda to train Luke, but Yoda actually wants to train Leia instead.
2: Actually, yeah. Yoda's expectation is that Leia is the chosen one. As we know from Rebels... Obi-Wan firmly believes that Luke is the Chosen One, so they definitely have some disagreement about it. But yeah, Yoda, from his meditation on Dagobah, as they communicate across the stars, he, he's anticipating training Leia. As a matter of fact, there's some insinuation that sending Leia to go pick up Obi-Wan during Rogue One is actually Baryl Organa sending her to receive Jedi training. Huh. So that's a kind of a very interesting... Um, Man, you know, if it wasn't for her getting captured, if she had managed to pick up Ben, maybe she would have received some training.
1: I, f- I feel like this is an indicator that we are totally going to see Leia do some Force stuff in The Last Jedi.
2: I think so. That's crazy.
1: A couple final notes about uh, about this book. There's a Paul Dini, as in Batman the Animated Series, Paul Dini story about Boba Fett. Have you gotten to that one, Matt? I have not. So look forward to that. I hear Boba's a real asshole. <laughs> um, Good. Good. Wooher doesn't serve droids because his parents were gunned down by battle droids, and he doesn't rat out Jedi for the same reasons. <laughs> which I think is fucking amazing. And my favorite thing, the number one best thing I've heard about this book, B. Arthur's character from the Star Wars Holiday Special, is fucking canon. <laughs> Akmena, the night shift bartender at Mos Eisley Cantina, she's in a few of the stories, and she has a wife named Sorshi, which is why I'm activating Willow Watch right now. <laughs>
0: willow
2: surprise activation
0: yep matt wasn't ready for this fully armed and operational willow watch it's completely <laughs> out of nowhere
1: sorshi akmena's wife you know 50-50 chance it's some kind of weird slanted willow reference
0: yeah 50-50 it either is or isn't yep exactly <laughs>
1: thus <ends> willow watch <laughs> So that's all the book books before we get to comic books. Well, let's thank you. Thank you for listening to this show. Thank you for supporting the show. And if you're not supporting the show, here's how you can do it. Go to patreon.com slash nerdy show through our Patreon. You support this show and all the shows on the nerdy show network. Even a dollar makes a world of difference. And in turn, you get a ton of bonus features, early release episodes, including sometimes State of the Empire episodes, and a slew of other perks, which I will let you discover at each successive tier. But please, if you do enjoy the show, do consider giving a dollar. It strengthens us, it binds us, it penetrates us, and uh, helps us become more one with uh, the force of, of good in the world, which is which is you giving to us via Patreon. Now, if you cannot give any money, well... There's there's a couple things you can do. One, I'm gonna guess you do spend money on Amazon, and if you do, the easiest way to give to State of the Empire is by shopping through our Amazon links at nerdyshow.com/Amazon. Make like hyperlink our link and make that your only link to Amazon. It's that easy. If you buy something super cool and Star Wars related, let us know and we'll talk about it on the show. And the uh, the other thing, the thing that really truly involves no money is rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It makes a world of difference. It helps people discover the show. And if you want to check out a platform specifically built for podcast discovery, it's not as uh, you know, clumsy or, or, or random as, uh, as iTunes. It's, it's actually built for podcast discovery. It's, it's elegant. It's the, the weapon of a warrior. And uh, if you rate and review us there, we will read your, uh, your reviews. Well, on either platform, for that matter. But on Podchaser, you can actually rate and review specific episodes. So if you think, oh, shit, this episode with all this book talk, that is my jam. Give that a rating and uh, let us let us know that that is your jam. And uh, I should also point out on the Amazon tip, anything that we're talking about here, we will link to on this episode's page. Just follow the links. Those Amazon links from our page will turn into links where what you buy gives back to us. So if you're thinking that sounds awesome, I want to read that, great. Head to nerdyshow.com Star Wars. Find this episode's page, however you do it. Follow the link on our description on iTunes or SoundCloud. And then... Buy the stuff through our links. We'll have it all listed there. So, comic-y books. There's a Forces of Destiny comic coming out. We've, we've actually had some new recent uh, Forces of Destiny in- installments. That's the very short animated shorts about female characters in the Star Wars universe that uh, debut on YouTube. There was recently a half-hour special on um, the Disney Channel, which was... Uh, well, the, the skits were good, um, but they had... Just god-awful segues with Maz Kanata. It was wretched. Like, the writing was terrible. Um, but we got a cool story about Sabine and Ketsu from Rebels. I think it's the actual first use of the Rebel insignia featuring Rebels characters ever. A really fun thing called the Starfighter stunt with Ahsoka and Padme. And a laughably bad uh, Harrison, old Harrison Ford impression in, <laughs> yeah. in Tracker Trouble. It was awful. God, it was so bad was so so bad. Um but it's a little a little encounter that happens between Jakku and Maz's castle in uh The Force Awakens. But man, they need a they need to get somebody different to do that. It it was real bad. Anyway, so there's there's a comic book coming out. There's a Force there's a Force of Destiny comic book. We don't have much in the way of details on it. Um but it's going to feature Leia Ray, Padme, Ahsoka, Hera, Rose and Paige. And Rose and Paige I think is the um the real thing to uh to gravitate towards it's a five week event um the now I mentioned the backup stories in star wars adventures that's that those are interesting. they're called tales from wild space and they star uh, a young character called Emil Graf, who's the grandson of Milo Graf, who is the character from the wild space young adult novels
2: I didn't know that that is very interesting
1: so this is this is taking place tandem to the I guess the events of the new trilogy and he's hanging out with two droids they're floating through space and every time he and his droids hit a little bit of trouble he'll tell them a crazy story that uh, his relatives told him which will involve some kind of figures from the Star Wars universe Um, and they've they've been a lot of fun they're not necessarily canon but they're like stories of things that probably were canon
2: huh, that's interesting I wonder, I didn't think the Wild Space books had been meeting with much uh notoriety or success to, to continue with that family but because um, there are UK releases like a year before the American releases and I just like never see them in stores and never see them mentioned like just thought they're kind of like a forgotten thing but that's cool that they're continuing on with It's that. weird and
1: these these backups are written by the author of those books Oh well that's cool. So inexplicably he's written a new character in the timeline of the characters that he's writing about more popularly I guess I'd, it's weird it's a weird thing, but it's good. It's I mean, the Star Wars adventures, um, the collection might be a dollar overpriced, but they're fun reads. And if you have kids and you want them to read Star Wars stories, why the hell not? Right. And you get Constable Zuvio! I mean, really, <laughs> like, the, and the, it is great Zuvio. It is fantastic Zuvio. He's He's got the same curmudgeon spirit that he had in the, um, the short story that came out before Force Awakens. Excellent. So he's, he's still, he's Matt. He's still everything we ever dreamed he was. You know, I,
2: I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to be like, you know, whatever that they announced the journey to episode nine, like series, you know, the, the label, there's going to be a book just called Zuvio in the front of the book. It's just going to be like half Luke's face, half Zuvio. we're going to get the connection right uh-huh. there and find out.
1: Oh, oh god! I know it. what
2: he really means. The saga,
1: man, that would be amazing! Amazing, can't wait. Um, so there's a Last Jedi, uh, tie-in for DJ. It comes out in January, and it's a 32 page special. And uh, it's by it's by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, the guys who are doing um the Storms of Crate one shot as well, with uh, art from uh Kev Walker who did Doctor Afra. And it's basically the pitch is a day in the life of of DJ just before his appearance in the film. I personally think that should come out before the movie, but I, that's just me. What do I know?
2: That actually, to me seems like the strongest indication that he's going to be like somehow connective tissue. That's like really of significance because not only does it come out after the movie, but it comes out significantly after the movie. Like, let everyone see the movie first, and then we'll, you know, like, talk more about his background. Right. I mean, they have a couple things coming out the day of. They have a couple things coming out, uh, you know, I, I want to say Storms a Crate. What did you say? It was, like, December 27th or something like that? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's, that's near release, but this is, like, late January. So they're definitely giving some time for, like, his identity to marinate.
1: Yeah, an interesting move. We had a big shakeup in comic books that we haven't had a chance to talk about on the show yet. Jason Aaron, much to our surprise, left Star Wars. He's been writing it since the beginning, and uh, it, it kind of suddenly, in a lot of ways, um, he the thing he ended on was a bunch of short stories, each issue focusing on different characters. He said in an interview that uh, he had plans that went through issue fifty, but um, just needed a little bit more space in the schedule the lead up to the new film seemed like a good time for him to jump off. So he did. And some of the final single issue stories were actually could have been entire story arcs, but he enjoyed condensing them. And I think they're actually, some of them are very strong for how quickly they play out, including an all R2 issue about him single-handedly rescuing 3PO um, from a very, very dangerous situation. So dangerous. The rebel Alliance won't sanction it. And in it, you get excerpts from sort of an astromech manual that, Along with other context clues, suggests that the reason that R two is R two is because he has been modded and tweaked and so much from what an actual astromech is capable of, an actual or an R two unit for that matter, that um, he's not the same droid. He's not the droid that's being described in this manual. He's physically incapable of being that droid, and uh, he's something else entirely. There's also um, the final issue might be one of his his best pieces, and it's it's a little moment of scar squadron his elite stormtrooper group just some good stuff in there jason aaron created a lot of a lot of very interesting material that exists in the space of the original trilogy that that makes it more a more exciting place like for example the the hut with that's kind of buff and has a collection of jedi artifacts whose name escapes me right now gracchus that's his name um and and scar squadron um he uh he said that uh I always came in kind of shooting for the moon and I was always happy with the stuff we were able to, to get to do. It took me a, a while to figure out how to put Yoda in there. Um, in fact, he said that one of his early ideas for getting Yoda in there was a group of stormtroopers crash land on Dagobah and it turns into Predator with Yoda as the Predator. It ended up turning into the Vader Down storyline.
2: Hmm. I, I wonder how much, like what the plans were for this ongoing and why it felt so in the end I don't know if neutered is the right word. It's like they had a plan to do something really big with this. You know, the sort of Luke learning how to become a Jedi without actually having a master. Sort of like the, the self-taught scheme, mm-hmm. it seemed. And then that fell by the wayside very quickly. Because it tied so heavily into the Luke that we're sort of like chasing after in The Force Awakens that I thought this was going to be kind of a good like frame story. But then it just I don't know, I wonder if plans changed or they just wanted to sort of tease that, and then it it ended up kind of feeling like the old the old Marvel ongoing from the eighties, like it was just kind of weird stories at times, I mean some of them were very weird the the yoda Yoda's secret war, force war, whatever it was called like it's just
1: it is a good story, but it's extremely peculiar,
2: yes, yeah, I mean it did a lot of things that I liked and I, I wish, you know, maybe in the end we'll hear something from, from Jason Aaron about, you know, what, what the process was or what happened there, or if anything bad did happen or if it was just, you know, that was the, the extent of what he wanted to do, but
1: it's hard to I imagine, imagine that were. Sorry,
2: go sorry. Oh, I was, I've, I've got to imagine there was a big plan.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard. It's hard to think that, these stories, they, they did feel like they were getting yanked around a lot. I can't imagine that he wasn't maybe under a high degree of scrutiny. Um, yeah. I mean, play, playing in the original trilogy era is, is no joke, and it looks all good on paper until you start doing it, and then all of a sudden people get nervous. Yep. But uh, taking over for him is Kieran Gillen, who did uh, the original Darth Vader run and Dr. Afra. That's coming soon, and uh, it's going to be quite the thing. The first story is called Ashes of Jeddah. So you you thought the Rogue One tie-ins were ceasing, but no, we've got Saw Gerrera and rebels, and this comic book, Matt. Maybe maybe it'll keep yeah. on coming.
2: Yeah, I might have spoken too soon. Maybe it's not that much in the rear view. I, I like this like that that that's a good thing. I think it's gonna be weird to see Doctor Aphra without Gillen. I would assume.
1: I uh, know. I think he's doing both.
2: Like, oh, is that well? No, actually, no. Sorry, I just looked it up here. We have starting with issue 14, Simon Spurrier.
1: Oh, shit. Well, Simon Spurrier... I didn't know this. Simon Spurrier's great. Like, he's... I I love so many things that he's done. Um, a really obscure at this point series called Gutsville about a bunch of uh, Protestants living in a, in a whale's belly. Um, the current comic book from Image, Angelic, about a bunch of uh, genetically engineered animals after the fall of mankind. He's awesome. So that sounds fantastic. It is weird that Afro would be written by anybody else because she seems like she's so Gillian's baby, but um yeah
2: i mean i I believe i I believe like he uh has a story uh in the certain pov book about
1: afro oh wow i didn't know that that's crazy yeah yeah they're mixing it's all mixing together (laughs) Yeah. wow um i can't believe i missed that but that's that's very cool and an awesome replacement so no complaints here um but I, i guess that makes sense taking taking over for star wars is a big deal and uh uh, there's a Mace Windu comic. It's by uh, Matt Owens, and it's fine. It's there's some.
2: I don't think the Disney story group knows what to do with the prequel era. <laughs> I and you know I don't and I don't I don't know if that's necessarily their fault. I think what happened is back in the day they had a much clearer idea of what was going to happen with uh attack of the clones Return, revenge of the sith cuz there wasn't the the, the you know that they were coming up on the end of star wars as they knew it you know it wasn't going to continue on so i think dark horse got to play around a lot with what they could do and they could be darker because the movies were getting darker in theme and then the Clone Wars cartoon built off that and then contradicted it in different places and different things like that. But the Dark Horse series and the, and the Del Rey novels that were coming out at the time were really the driving force for that era. There wasn't the cartoon to compete with. And now I think it's, there's nothing to build up to or off of. And I don't think they know because of how much like now Ahsoka and that story sort of dominates that era what else they can do.
1: This is just a, a random story about um, Mace Windu going to a remote planet and bashing up some separatists, and there's some battle droid humor, and it's fine. It's just it's fine. But is it essential so far? not even remotely. However, Soul's Vader, Charles Soul's brand new ongoing Vader comic, oh my God, that's essential. Everyone needs to read this book. It's crazy. Excited. Um. Mm. So this is the book that we've talked about in the past famously opens with the moment of Vader's Frankenstein creation at the end of Revenge of the Sith and makes a point of trying to redeem that moment and explain, you know, what what Anakin's next thought was. Retcon artistry. It is retcon artistry at its finest. Um and it's so much it's so much more palatable when um, you know, when you don't have to hear <laughs> <laughs> his his baleful cry, um, yeah. But uh, it it is amazing. Essentially, the the emperor says, "All right, so hey buddy, uh, my my old buddy, old pal, you're a Sith now. So we got oh man, we've got such work to do. I got some homework assignments for you. And uh, here's what's going down, man. I need you to kill off some straggler Jedi's. And when you do that, you got to take a lightsaber. And then homeboy." You're gonna bleed that sucker you're gonna we won't want you to make an evil lightsaber bro come on um so first of all the battle with Vader Vader takes down this jedi that was in um he was kind of like a self-imposed exile thing so he's been off the grid for a long time he doesn't even really know what happened he knew that he felt order sixty six happen um and uh he's he's ready uh, he's ready for a fight he doesn't know what the fuck Vader is but he is it's a cool Samurai Battle basically is what is what that whole issue is. Invader gets fucked to shreds because he has no idea how to use his robot body. He's like he, he's all he's all thumbs. And so he's all torn apart. Okay, so when he's torn apart, there's a droid that he bashed up and then he uses his force powers to like kind of cobble together his robot body because he's such a clever engineer so that he can, like, patch himself up and he's this horrible Darth Vader robot mess clawing his way up, killing this Jedi. Wow. It's good stuff. And let me tell you, when he bleeds that saber, Palpatine's like, all right, so, hey, you know where you got your ass beat? I want you to go there because it's full of your hatred. And it's also, like, a hot spot for, like, Sith feels. So you want to get those deep Sith feels, bro. Go to Mustafar, bleed your saber, and, folks, I can't tell you what happens there, but I want to tell you because it's crazy.
2: Well saber bleeding makes me nervous. <laughs> the
1: saber bleeding
0: makes me sick.
2: <laughs>
0: as it there should.
1: It's a very uh it's a very unkind uh thing. It's a very bad thing. And as I understand, when it was created, you know, not it's not so very long ago, it was a very dumbly written thing. But let me tell you, it is not dumbly written in this book. It is actually awesome in like as far as if shit you want to see. Your tragic bad guy go through great, super.
2: Well then, I yeah, I mean, I'm always willing to, you know, I definitely want to like check it out. I just, I think right now my problem, with, like my my bleeding problem, is a little different than Doug's. I think Doug has issues with it just as a plot device. My thing, like, is, is it's just kind of scattered. I can't tell what they're trying to do with how it ties into Last Jedi. Like, I don't know if it's going to appear at all. It may not, but. There's contrasting ideas of the Force being like something that's very bipolar, like you got light and dark, and then you have like all these things about balance. So, you know, we have trailers that are giving me the idea that like the Jedi have to come to an end. You have Kylo and Rey reaching out to each other. You have Lore Santeca in in, uh, in the Poe Dameron comic talking about Sith and jedi made things like i don't know what that device was in the most recent poe dameron you might have some clue cap but
1: i don't know what it is matt you actually know as much as i do
2: yeah it's just an artifact right now but then you have like the sith and jedi holocron coming together in rebels like there's all these concepts of like there being some sort of like balance that i don't know if they're trying to like bring the prequels together with like that you know, the, the theory of, of a chosen one to bring balance to the Force, and maybe Luke's going to do that by getting Ray and Kylo to team up or some ridiculous thing like that. Um, but then you introduce crystal bleeding, and that to me is so, like, only two ends on a spectrum. <laughs> you know, that is like, I'm a bad guy, so my saber knows, and it becomes bad. You know, it, it doesn't seem like something that can meet in the middle. Right. You know?
0: And 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 what's the tipping point? Does it like if you if you ha- like I brought this up before. If you're a Jedi with a blue saber and you start to go bad, does it turn purple and then transition into red, or just one day is it snap and well oh, we're red now? And granted, this is like nitpicking the details, but as if the lightsabers weren't like already too magic to begin with, like as if the lightsabers weren't already complicated and and made no sense to begin with. Now. They have personalities? Like, I, I don't. It boggles they're, me. They're, they're Harry Potter wands that they're going to st- sell at Star oh, Wars. dude, Land. I was just going to say they're turning them into these Harry Potter wands where it's like, oh, you got to find the crystal that's right for you. It's oh, give me a break. <laughs> they're going
2: to have it, a show. Why didn't we talk about that when we were talking about Star Wars Land? They're totally going to have a show just like Ollivander's.
0: Well, you can already build your own <laughs> lightsaber in, like, the toy shop or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but in, is, in downtown but, Disney. and.
2: But we're totally going to get the David Tennant droid. From Clone Wars to like you know I need a volunteer and then you know whatever and they're going to call out I don't know but to answer somewhat answer your question Doug about what happens to a lightsaber um, it's not someone going bad and then becoming good but Ahsoka takes red crystals from Inquisitors that she's defeated and like unbleeds them and they turn white that's how she has her white sabers and rebels
0: oh god I I can't stand it (laughs) I, uh, I know. I'm like know. The, the, the fucking colors. It's 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 a machete. It's a sword. It's a tool. It's not magic things yeah. that only magic people use. Han Solo used a lightsaber for crying out loud. Anyone can use a lightsaber. It's just
1: considered outdated. Hold up, dog. Han Solo used a lightsaber. Anyone can grab a lightsaber that's already fully functional. But the aspects of the, the crystals building a lightsaber, that is a mystical practice used by space wizards. They've always been space wizards.
0: It's only mystical because no one fucking does it anymore. Because once you invented a blaster, people stopped stabbing each other.
2: I don't like the idea that in the distant past, when like blasters were not a thing yet, like let's just say pre-firearms, quote-unquote, in the Star Wars universe, that hand-to-hand weapons weren't plasma or laser-based for non-Jedi. I understand the idea of making a sword mystical, but I still think that other people that use swords within the Star Wars galaxy can still have like the technology versions of them. You know, whether those are laser whips or laser spears,
0: God, laser bow and the laser arrows, whips, laser all this stuff. Like the, it's just This is the one thing I'll always side with George on <laughs> because if you would ask George George what's the meaning of the crystal turning red I don't know because he's a bad guy it doesn't matter it's just a color like it just he would never say oh well it's about the inner struggle with the but, but doug hold sith on fighting the Jedi. I don't
1: see how what we're saying here is any different though it is red because he's a bad guy that that's all there is to it in the act the act of creating um a red saber is is filling it with the malice of being you know uh sith and, and how is that, the, the fact that they've defined the process for how that's done, basically a magical ritual for how it's done, any different from simply seeing, uh, you know, all of a sudden a Sith shows up with a red saber? Well, how, how'd the, where, where'd the red saber come from? Well, it's, it's a crystal that, I mean, there's got to be a reason that only bad guys have these, these things. It's because their alignment causes that. I mean, that's, that's, all, that's all they're saying. That's really all it is.
0: Just to wrap it, I guess, because I could go on for forever if you couldn't tell, but, like, <laughs> even if the the Sith choosing a red crystal, even if crystal bleeding wasn't a thing, right, it did always bother me looking at, like, the trailer for, uh, you know, Star Wars The Old Republic Online, like, the Sith thing crash lands and it opens up, and yeah, it looks pretty badass when, like, all these red sabers ignite and it's just a bunch of red sabers fighting a bunch of other multicolored sabers, but even then it did kind of bug me, I'm like, why do they all have red? Like, why don't, like... Isn't there one Sith who's just, Isn't there just one bad guy who's like, you know what? Fuck tradition. I'm just going to have a white saber because. No one else has that, and I want to be cool. Like I, I didn't. I, it never really made that much sense. But you could always argue, well, it's tradition. It's a Sith tradition. The Sith are really big on tradition. Therefore, if you're going to go bad, this is your color because the Jedi don't like it. Just fuck them, right? It's like no Jedi likes this, so we're, we're we're picking it up. But as soon as you tie it into like something that's beyond your control, where it's like I'm a bad person, therefore the tool in my position is red, and then I'll just bring it up. Like what about the Death Star? Death Star is made of kyber crystals. That thing kills planets those crystals ain't sad enough yet (laughs) i
2: don't have the same like malice (laughs) that doug has but i definitely agree with you completely
0: i wouldn't call it malice i call it umbrage.
2: (laughs) there you go i i just i don't know especially because the jedi's crystals themselves are blue or green or sometimes purple you know, there's no It's the lack of consistency. There's just yeah.
0: they just it's a rule that was thrown in because they thought it sounded cool. It sounded mystical like a Harry Potter wand when there's no actual thought put into it because it makes no sense. There's no consistency throughout any of these stories.
1: And that's fine, but I say to you, read the Darth Vader comic and I think you'll you'll see Oh, that... I'm
0: sure I'll enjoy it. It's just a, I just don't think the plot rev- the plot wouldn't be any worse off if he just had to pick a red crystal versus having to bleed it.
2: Well, yeah, well, I also don't like an entire galaxy filled with like millions of aliens and millions of of like aesthetic ideas that like red represents evil. Like you're right, I don't think like a bunch of Sith warriors, including like some alien ones, would necessarily all agree that like you know red is is I don't know. It's that's.
0: Like, Kate Fisto had them bug eyes. Did he see colors the same way Yoda did? Does Yoda see colors the same way that Luke does? Like, it does. I just. There's. there's what about the fucking. The, the, that species who are blind? They're born without any eyes, but they make really great Jedi. Once again, from like the Old Republic Online. Do they accidentally ever pick the wrong crystal? that Oh, this belonged to a Sith. I don't know it's actually red, you know? Like, and they just put it in their lightsaber? You can sense know. that.
1: Come on. But, uh, I mean, really, if. If, you, if this Vader story came along and the concept of bleeding crystal in name had not been made and you saw that Vader had to, you know, uh, pervert the crystal of a Jedi as part of a Sith ritual, that sounds pretty grim and awful. That seems like that's right, al- like aligned with the kind of awful creature that one is asked to be when you give yourself into this uh, evil religion, essentially. Um, so I don't. Aside from the fact that it's a goofy name with that was apparently poorly handled when it debuted, I don't really know that it's actually uh, bad or off-brand to the actual Star Wars experience when it's done well.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be curious to check it out. I, ha, Cap, how does it work in relation, like, thematically with the previous Vader ongoing? Like, does it make a good like prequel? Like, do you feel like they they're gonna end up kind of fitting together, like, showing a Vader, like? progression
1: i guess they could but it wouldn't really it wouldn't really really matter because what you're seeing here is you're seeing vader um figuring himself out and i know that doesn't sound good necessarily but i assure you it is actually quite good um because it's it's actually heartbreaking which is something you don't ever get from the films um right and in the original vader ongoing the, the kieran gillen one he's already you know well-known Vader, the elite dude. And in this, no one knows who he is. They're like, what the fuck is this thing you're dragging around emperor? Oh yeah. By the way, um, he also, <laughs> after bleeding his saber, here's another cool thing that happens. Uh, he meets the grand inquisitor from star Wars rebels. And then Vader trains the inquisitors. It's great. You know, um, I'll extend an olive branch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have,
0: I, I'll, I'll, I'll offer up a headcanon explanation, which so far, I, there's no way to debunk it, I guess, but it, I, I, Let's just say, unless something already said otherwise, that uh, the red saber is just a traditional Sith thing. Like you can still be evil, but not Sith, and not have a red saber. You know, like it's 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 still a matter of choice. Like you have to decide. Okay, I'm going to crack this crystal, and I'm going, and in doing so, it will just turn red based on the properties of whatever it is. So it's not so much I'm a bad person. You hand me a lightsaber, it turns red. As much as Oh, as part of the tradition with the Jedi, it's about building a lightsaber. Here, for Sith, it'd be like, oh, I'm going to kill a Jedi, take that Jedi's crystal, whatever color it used to be, and through sheer force of will, force it to be red, and then I'm going to use it. That suddenly sounds way cooler, as opposed to being the mood ring.
1: D- Doug, that's exactly what I'm saying. That is exactly what. So happens.
0: it's all by choice, and it's not a matter of just like the crystal. Like it's not like whatever. I'm yeah. Oh I'll, no. I'll take your word for it. and I'm just going to read it. You, anyway. you
1: have to. You have to uh, like basically psychically uh, abuse and warp this thing. This is not like this is this is sheer force of will. This is an act of hatred. Oh, I hate you,
0: Crystal. I hate you so much. Turn red, as a, as a, as opposed to so strong in the force. You are cracking a diamond with your brain it is more interesting to me. But whether it's actual, it, you're hurting its feelings and it has a life oh. inside it somehow. No, versus no, no no, just, no, 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 no. You know
1: <laughs> nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. <laughs> this is metal. It's super metal. Everything that Vader does in this issue is is horrible and metal. So links to where you can buy it on this episode's page. Well, I'm gonna borrow it next time I come over. <laughs> yes, please do. Uh, now, before we before we close out, there's no there's no blast doors this episode. There's nothing to spoil. Um, we're gonna talk about uh, what we know in terms of Battlefront Two and the huge, huge and tragic news coming out of Visceral Studios. So, Battlefront Two comes out November 17th. Obviously, um, we've talked about it a little bit already on this episode. There's not much more to say aside from that. It still looks gorgeous. The single player campaign looks like a lot of fun. Um, we have there's
2: some, there's some loot box loot box controversy.
1: There there is some loot box controversy. I, yeah. I I turn a blind eye to that because I'm not going to be playing this game for the multiplayer at all. Right. Um. But let's go. Yeah. Let's, let's go into that briefly.
2: Yeah. I just you know it. it there's there's two types of real. Yeah. Just very quickly. Two types of loot box issues that I actually pay attention to because it's very easy for me, at least as a, I don't know, what I believe to be a mature person, to look at, like, a (laughs) loot box possibility of, like, cosmetic things and then just say, like, you know what, I don't need to spend extra, you know, like, I have that self-control. I know people who don't, but... And I definitely think it is a form of gambling and they're t- preying on people's addictive personalities to you know, sort of squeeze a whole bunch of money out of them. But then there's another type, which is gameplay affecting loot boxes, in which you are bothering the people who don't spend money on these things because it's, it's affecting their ability to compete. And from all indications, it seems that these are the type of loot boxes that are available in Battlefront. Like the, the loot boxes grant you you know your additional upgrades and abilities so if somebody's spending a ton of money on on loot boxes they're going to be getting more things that can be used to essentially like dominate in in multiplayer and it's just it's not going to be
1: fun that's That's not a balanced game that's something i don't ever want to play
2: yeah and uh unfortunately that just seems to be the way it is you know and um there's nothing we can really do about it except not spend money on loot boxes. But here's the thing. People are going to. You know, you can't tell someone to do or not do what they want. And, um, yeah, it's unfortunate.
1: Well, I think there's there's one path, and that is to emphasize the gambling angle and make a scandal out of it. Because Disney doesn't want to be associated with that kind of practice. So if they see that, you know, the company they've entrusted Star Wars to, EA, is um, preying off of uh, people's, like, addictive tendencies, uh, especially if it involves children and uh and that becomes uh something that public outcry can surround well that is a great platform for making a positive change
2: yeah you're absolutely right cap and and i just read something recently that somebody had said that they've they've seen users spend over twelve thousand dollars on mass effect multiplayer cards you
1: know that's fucked
2: yeah it's it's really not okay and um unfortunately these types of games will sell very well and so they think it will be okay but you're right, it, it it needs to be an instrument for, for significant social change when it comes to, like, electronic merchandise, digital merchandise, because it's not, you know, they keep likening it to the idea of, like, a pack of trading cards, you know, like Pokemon cards, anything you want, baseball cards, whatever, that's just luck of the draw, and, you know, you could stop whenever. But when it affects other people's enjoyment of it, it's not the same.
1: Yeah, because if it's, if it's Magic the Gathering, you're buying a pack of cards, you don't know what's in there, but ultimately you're building a deck for strategy and the random chance of finding cards with certain amounts of, like, that have been produced. It's all, uh, there's, you know, it's a bit of a, a scam in that sense, but it's also you know, tactics, because you know that the, you're, you are a wizard uh, arranging a multiversal army of creatures, and some of those creatures are more rare than others, and, and it's all a weird structured chess thing. You know, th- yep. this is not that at all. This is like, do you want an advantage in this game where everyone should have, the, where the only thing should be skill? Skill should be the only thing that separates everyone in, in terms of the, the arena that they're in. But no, right? You can you can throw down five hundred dollars and you can be the absolute ruler of this game.
2: And, and the weird thing, like your level, your char- your character's class levels are dependent upon how many of the cards that you have per class. So you could sit there and play as an officer class the entire game and all your like, you know, just game after game after game. But if you're just continually getting heavy class cards, your class level for heavy is the one that goes up. So it's, you could literally just go in and just spend a ton on cards and then show up as like, you know, a level 20 player, but you really don't have any skill because you haven't, you've, it's just based on the fact that you bought cards and they happen to be of that class.
1: I mean, that sounds fucked, and if I spend if I spend any money in this game, it will be purely for the single-player campaign, and fortunately, that's trackable. They'll see that there's something that's being used, and a portion of it is not being used, so I, I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, I don't even like the idea of giving EA money. I avoid it whenever possible, but I do like Star Wars. Um, what we're going to be linking to on this episode's page in terms of Battlefront is a great behind-the-scenes trailer, a single-player scene. 10 minutes of single player footage and a a play a trailer for the single player campaign. And it's all, I mean, this seems like an exciting story for bridging the original trilogy and the new trilogy. And that's why I'm interested in it. Um, And then there's a great part where um, Verso, the character from the single player says, someone once told me that rebellions are built on hate. And I'm just (laughs) like, ha ha. (laughs) Um,
2: There's some, I'm, I'm telling you, man, this, this series, like the battle, like very suddenly Battlefront became like a great connective element to everything. It's, it's weird.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's a shame that there's like a very scandalous multiplayer game attached to this really quality single player game. And it's also a shame that um, the way that game companies are behaving Uh, Which we'll see as we talk about Visceral's Star Wars game, the game that was going to be the spiritual successor to Star Wars 1313, the game that was helmed by Amy Hennig from uh, Uncharted fame, the game which is now, um, well, not canceled, but uh, Visceral Studios, with a long storied history of quality game making, including the Dead Space series, was closed by EA, and this game was kicked over to one of their other studios, EA Vancouver Um, EA had a statement. They said, the games we want to play and spend time with, the experiences we have uh, in those games and the way we play, all those things are continually changing. We are always focused on creating experiences that our players want to play and today, that means making a significant change with one of our upcoming titles. And specifically, this is going to be a story-based linear adventure game like Uncharted. Um, but because they were tracking fundamental shifts in the marketplace, it has become clear that to deliver an experience that players will want to come back to and enjoy for a long time to come, we needed to pivot.
2: A.K.A. keep spending money beyond the purchase. Yes. The initial purchase. Yes,
1: we needed to pivot the design. So there's something that I, I, a phrase that I was unfamiliar with because I'm not, I'm not really, like, in the game journalism circuit, so to speak. And also, <laughs> as as my uh, workload has increased in other facets, I have played less and less video games, no matter my love for them. Um, but there's a, t- a term called games as service. Um, and that that is a subject of much controversy right now and something that all the big studios are shifting towards because that's the model of this industry. Like, you know, we've seen Hollywood destroy itself in terms of making the easy money. And we're seeing the video game industry do that at a much faster pace in terms of the quality of material. You know, like, everything's—a triple A AAA game is a summer blockbuster, and summer blockbusters typically are not films of any real substance. So all the big games will, that are getting money spent on them that look gorgeous are going to be games not of real substance in terms of storytelling and probably in terms of gameplay. Um,
0: like, I'm not up on gaming journalism either, but— uh, isn't the single-player linear narrative of the Uncharted series still doing gangbusters?
1: As far as I know, yes. But EA doesn't really care about that because EA is like money god of video games. They want it cheap, they want it fast, and they want it now.
2: And that and that's just cheap, fast, and now. But but they want a ridiculous amount of money. Like yes. this is. I mean, I could go on about this about many industries, but like it's never okay just to turn a profit anymore. They want to turn the biggest profit. A fortune. <laughs> you know, because Uncharted, yeah, Uncharted's making money. And there's a bunch of other single-player narrative games that have been a success that haven't been, like, that I'm sure have made money but not have been runaway successes. Like, you know, a single-player game I enjoyed recently, Until Dawn. Like, you know, it wasn't a huge game, but from what I heard, they made money on it. And it's not something that I'm going to keep coming back to, but for some reason, EA's games now, like, they can't just come out and disappear. They need to make just Scrooge McDuck piles of money. (laughs) Yeah. Continuously.
1: So games as a service basically means it's not a standalone experience. It's something that's constantly expanded in a way that ensures it keeps making money so they can continue to, like... Uh, they can release the game before it's finished and hope they patch it fast enough. They can uh, sell you expansions ahead of time. They can sell you all kinds of like dumb cosmetic experiences. They, it's what they call a broader experience, but really it ultimately ends up being a watered-down experience in terms of, well, the whole purpose of video games, which is, I mean, okay, there's two purposes to video games. Let's just lump it into two big arbitrary titles. There's um, 100% Entertainment, basically the virtual version of competitive sports. And then there's the thing that made gaming what it is today, the thing that captured everybody, and that is having a narrative that you, the individual, can be a part of and interact with. The thing that makes this medium so special is that it's more than you just imagining a story as you're reading it or as you're watching it, uh, like, you know, feeling any kind of, like, visceral tension. Uh, It is actually uh you know, you are putting you're putting your hand into another world. It's something you would like most experience with say a horror game even. That's maybe the most the most chilling version of that. But even if you're just doing an adventure story, even if you're just doing um Knights of the Old Republic, you're investing yourself in that story and what happens. And uh that, that time is gone because that does not necessarily make heaps of cash.
2: It's a shame because I mean my guess is the pivot here for the visceral game, is that they see an opportunity to instead of starting from the ground up, to pivot from that single player experience, which may still exist in some form when the game comes out, but to a battle royale, I believe is what they're referring to the genre now—that player unknown battlegrounds type game. What, but with Star what Wars, is that like Destiny? I want to say it's it's more very large uh, multiplayer battles.
1: That can't um, that can't possibly be what they're doing, really? Would they? for this title with what they have so far
2: i mean from what i've been reading a lot of the like uh leading game developers have been looking towards that model because it's been such a huge success um kind of a runaway success and it's cheap and and user-generated content you know it's right so that seems to be a big conjecture that you know it's something that they can continually you know Cosmetic release, you know, DLC and all kinds of, like, additions that can be continually purchased and thus be profitable. And it would just depend on if they could convert the assets that they have for that game to that. Now, I mean, a Destiny-type clone, you know, that could be a possibility too. But, um, I've actually read Destiny as one of the criticisms of, uh, like, um that there's not enough opportunity for, um, what is it, Activision? I believe is the Bun- developer for Destiny. Bungie? Well it's Bungie, yeah. I'm trying to remember who owns Bungie now. But, you know, basically there's not enough opportunity to continue making money on that, despite the fact that, like, there's not, you know, that, that there is a grind to the game and things like that. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it could be some sort of Destiny clone that where there's much more opportunities to be purchasing things.
1: Hmm. Yeah, the, one, the most telling thing we've got is from EA's press release that says, um, we'll be leaning into the capabilities of our Frostbite engine and reimagining central elements of the game to give players a Star Wars adventure of greater depth and breadth to explore. Which says to me, you know, essentially, for the first time ever, an open world. And uh I, I greater depth to explore, like weapons packs, costumes <laughs> packs, hat packs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh I don't I don't know. And uh we also won't really know for a long time because um this game has been bumped from a twenty nineteen release to TBD. And that's a long way off.
2: <laughs> I would be very curious to see. What has if something similar is currently going on with the respawn Star Wars game as well?
1: Which one was that going to be?
2: That's just the the sort of unknown third confirmed Star Wars game. Is that uh yeah, respawn was was working on it. Um,
1: Disney's got to be upset about this, right? I mean, I, right?
2: Yeah, and I, I I wish I could read the contract terms of this because. I mean that Fran that, that IP got handed over in a licensing agreement in what twenty fourteen? And we're now sitting at late twenty seventeen waiting on for the for the second Star Wars game to come out. And now the third and fourth, like definitely the third, possibly the fourth, have been are being re pivoted. We will probably get Battlefront three before we ever see a different game. They've done some mobile stuff, but I'm not even like that's a whole nother problem industry. Well, sure, that's and also
1: Disney uh had their right to make Star Wars games taken away from them by EA throwing a fit because Disney still retained rights to do certain kinds of games.
2: It's it's just ridiculous. I mean, what a shame that this, you know, Disney's always made mistakes with their like somehow like it's the only industry that they can't seem to become the kings of.
1: You know, the only time they got it right was when they were doing it themselves. Yeah, and
2: and that's, but what's weird is they they let it slip away. They were doing it right, but they were never the kings of of the video game industry. And it's strange because they know how to handle movies, they know how to handle TV, they're even very good at radio. Like, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things that they're good at, but they've never been good at, like, taking control of the video game industry. And licensing it out so quickly without thinking about it just to EA was probably just the worst idea they could possibly have. The hungriest monster. I, and it's such a disservice. I, I would think that any Star Wars fan over the age of, you know, 25 knows for certainty that one of the significant players of keeping the Star Wars saga as, like, fresh and alive and as interesting as it ever was when the movies were coming out was their video games. I mean, there's some classic single-player sagas that some people hold in a higher regard than the movie. I mean, you talk to a huge Knights of the Republic fan, and that to them is star wars and what a shame that like almost like 3 years after this license was given to EA that we're only getting two games and only one of them has a single player element and the other two are very controversial for being disappointing the fans
1: <laughs> yeah it is a shame it is a damn shame it's, i mean we've we've lamented the death of of lucas arts like quite often on this show but the fact that they did so many like game industry defining titles that have become yep. legendary. Um, yes, they were not that company when Disney acquired Lucasfilm. They weren't, but nah. had they been folded in with what there was of Disney Interactive, they easily could have been if they wanted to invest the time into cornering that market and building something. Because what we, what made Lucas successful was that it had the innovation of Lucasfilm, and with things like ILMX Lab, they um. I mean, they, they, had, they had a real chance to do something big there.
2: And, and they never, ever forgot the focus of storytelling and its importance. And, you know, much like a Pixar, you know, as far as the way they treat storytelling as, a, as one of the key elements of what they were doing, you know, just because they're making, you know, animated films, they're making, you know, quote-unquote children's films, they never forgot storytelling, and that's what the, the LucasArts games were doing. I still, still... I would say one out of every three times someone wants to refer to Lucasfilm will say Lucas Arts and not even notice. <laughs> <laughs> They're so synonymous with each other, and what a shame that it was just left to die like that. It didn't deserve that.
1: No, no, it didn't. Um, but I did just mention ILM X Lab, which is really—I mean, it was ILM's project, but it was tethered in many ways to the development that was happening. It was the, the last gasp of, of the innovation coming out of, of Lucas Arts. And I'm happy to say that that is being put to the test in full effect by something new that's coming out. Um, it is a experience. It's called Star Wars Secrets of the Empire. And it's a partnership between Lucasfilm and the VR startup company The Void to create an immersive VR experience at Disney Springs and Downtown Disney. And this is coming out the same weekend as the film in... Um, here in Orlando, and then unfortunately in the West Coast, it's not happening until January. But basically what this is, is it's not, this is not a normal VR experience. This is not even an HTC Vive walk around in a, in a field VR experience where you've got the two lighthouses giving you an arena to walk around in. This is a self-contained VR system on a backpack that puts you fully in a world and has you walk into a space that is actually designed in the i mean it's basically it's not augmented reality but reality the reality you're walking around into is mapped one-to-one in the virtual space so if you walk up against a wall you will slam into a real wall there is a wall there if you touch buttons on a keypad you're touching buttons you're really you're really there and in this case you're a group of uh, rebels infiltrating an installation on mustafar Disguised as stormtroopers, and when you look at your own arms, you will see the arms of a stormtrooper, and they will be mapped, just as they are. You can catch something in this virtual space if someone throws something at you. Um, and that's that's the catching thing. That's nothing new. You can do that with HTC Vive, but not while wandering around in a in a three D experience that you are untethered in. So, uh, this there's a trailer out. It looks amazing. They did something similar for Ghostbusters at uh, Madame Tussauds in New York, which um, I guess is still operational. And, in fact, when they described this, they said it's not just sight and sound, but touch, smell, and motion. And the smell was what got me. So we're going to maybe be smelling Mustafar? I I hope so. Yeah, right. Brimstone. (laughs) (laughs) But um, suffice it to say, those of us who are based out of Orlando... Oh, we got our tickets already, and this sucker's already very fucking sold out. So we'll be reporting. Ugh. I'm sorry, Matt. I'm wishing I wish you were know, here. I know, I
2: know. I, I, I sat on it not knowing what my plans were and also waiting on a friend to, to jo- decide if he wanted to join me. But, of course, we dillied, and now we we won't be dallying.
1: <laughs> so we'll be reporting to you about that as soon as possible. That'll be probably right after our review of The Last Jedi. That's the kind of timetable we're looking at for this. There's plenty more to say about Star Wars theme parks, but we'll say that in the next installation of State of the Empire. That's all the time we got tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, if you like this show, please rate and review us on iTunes or Podchaser. And don't be bashful. Give us a dollar a month on patreon.com slash nerdy show. It'll make a world of difference. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.